Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Woke Agent. I am your host, Tiffany Jarvis, and I'm a local real estate agent in Lexington, Kentucky. And this is the podcast where I talk to my friends in the real estate business about how they run their business, their opinions, their outlooks on the industry ahead, and just generally how they stay woke. We do deals with these people all the time. We never know anything about them. I am here to change that. My guest today is Eli. He's a broker from Lifestyle. Everybody knows Eli, right? Just about everybody. Everybody knows you. Everybody has an opinion about me, that's for sure. They do, which is why which is why you're here, because I think you're very woke. I am pretty woke. Uh, you really are. I, I try to be, you know. In today's day and age, I, almost like there's almost like this negative connotation with being woke, but it was a, it was an it was an amazing movement for the world. But I think it's it's uh, I, I I think there's um, there's a lot to it, and I think you know people doing things like this, just making having conversations, is part of that. You know, so let's, let's you. just go into this. So nice. I you i'm obsessed with this newsweek this newsday story that's came out the um, investigation in long island where all these real estate agents were found being you know they were discriminating against people of color and um and buyers in the real estate business so let's talk about that have you i mean did you watch it i'm sure you did i got some brief notes on it i didn't really watch the whole thing but i i have a general idea what was going on with it but it it's um i mean that that's been happening for years and then there's and there's a lot of people i mean even even i i don't think anyone's i can't see anyone steering in our community because it's so small oh it happens oh it does i was gonna ask you if you've seen it you said it's been happening for years have you seen it in have you seen it happen at your brokerage or other brokers or you know it's 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 more because our our town is so small it's it's hard to really um there are parts of town where you're just like you know this is not as diverse as it could be you know um and i don't i don't I mean, if somebody, if I found out somebody was doing that in my office, they'd be gone in a heartbeat. That's not um, something we we take lightly. And I, I have a really diverse um, group of agents. Yes, um, you do. Yeah, I, you're I, probably the most diverse brokerage that I could think of in town. For yeah, sure. And I I pride myself on it. It's literally conversations we've had with my management. Um, well, it starts from the broker level. I mm. mean, you and Fred, you're not you're not all white men. No, so. no. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. <laughs> Which is we, we, and and part of the reason, actually, when we brought on Liz to be our career career, you're like, oh, we need a white lady. <laughs> we need. It's like we need a we need a white chick. Uh, we need and, a, a tall drink of water, <laughs> a blonde white chick. She's coming on in two days. Did you know that? Oh, is she really? She is. She's awesome, man. I'm she gonna tell awesome. her you said this. I did. Well, she knows that. I was like, um. Well, and part of it was is like, uh, so Fred. When we hired Fred, it was I needed the adult in the room. Um, basically, I needed somebody to wear collared shirts and suit jackets and Perfect. stuff like that. Uh, and I need somebody to sit in the office and have an open door policy. Um, because I sit in what's kind of like a basically a bullpen. So I, I'm the CEO and principal broker of my company, but I sit with the agents because I think that's the best way to get a uh, true feel of where the market's at. As one thing, because I don't, I'm, I don't compete in the sense of I don't go out and sell real estate. I'm not going to be a ten million dollar year producer or even a two million dollar year producer. Do you think there's a benefit to a broker that is a producing broker or a competing broker, or is there a benefit to someone like you that's not? I think every broker needs to sell a little bit. Okay, um, and so part of the policy with Fred and I, we both do not go get business. So Fred's been in the business for 35 years. I've been in it for 10. So people call me and, um, you know, I'm pretty active on social media. So I get questions on my Facebook and, you know, private messages on a regular basis of people asking me questions on, you know, listing their properties. Um, I generally won't work with buyers unless they're friends and family. But what happens is um, you need to have a pulse of the market and you can't do that sitting in your ivory tower. So I feel like I still need to get out there and meet agents that way. So I will take listings um, and it's generally friends and family and I'm not getting on my Facebook and being like, I need listings and you know, let me, how much can I sell? And I just, I think I, there were early on when we, when we started 
um, when I started in, in becoming a broker and, and building my brokerage, I, I didn't like the idea of the broker being a top producer. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not too keen on that either. Yeah. I, I don't know why it feels so strange to me that they're competing against me and mm-hmm. tip, you know, if you're a competing broker like that, you're usually dominating. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I don't want to like get out. Th- I mean, in, I, I feel like if I really wanted to go, I probably could make more money selling real estate than running a brokerage, you know, and I'm, I'm actually pretty certain about that. Um, and probably put in less hours too. Um, and because wow. it's, it's a, um, um, it's a lot of stress when you have to deal with, you know, our office is 130 people. So it's like, you know, there's 130 problems out there that are going on at any given moment. And we've, we've, we really now have battened down and are going for really quality agents, going for big producers. We are, and when we, when it comes on a management standpoint, I, I found it to be more important for us to be serving the agents than clients. So, and that's where we look at it. Our, our management, our staff, everybody from the, uh, the lady at the front desk to our transaction coordinator, they understand the, the customer's always right. But in this, in this case, the customers are our agents. And now what we, what I mean by that isn't that, yeah, if they're doing something that isn't correct and isn't right, that's one thing, but we want to make sure that they have all the tools and all the ability to, run their business as best as they possibly can. And we can't, I can't be out there showing houses and getting phone calls and answering questions. I feel like, um, you know, right now, uh, my niece is looking for a house, so I'm helping her find something. My it brother, seems like you have a pretty big family. Every time I talk to you, you're like, oh, my brother's buying a house and yeah. my cousin's buying a house. So I have on my mom's side, I have 36 first cousins. And they the, all here? They're all I around would say here? 95% of them. And then out of those 36, there's probably 10 of them that already have kids. So, and it's kind of crazy because my family's huge. I have seven uncles. Uh, and there's, I think, 25 years between the youngest and the oldest. So I have an uncle that's only seven years older than me. Uh, and yeah, I've gone to bars with him and got hammered with my uncles before. And they're like, they're more like brothers to me. And I don't, I don't even call them Uncle Waspy or whatever. I'm just like, you know, I talk to them just like they're my brothers. They, they kicked my butt when I was young and just like big brothers would. And um, But when you have a family that big, you can't help but have to do some work. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, it's like having a pulse of the industry is good. I don't want to have... 25 listings. I want to have three or four, um, you know, and I'll, I'll do it mainly because I, when, when I was selling real estate on a regular basis, I went above and beyond to, to make this a service kind of industry for myself. And because I, it it was crazy because when I first got into the business, I was, um, flipping houses and my agent was like, Hey, you know, last two years I made $130,000 of commissions off of you. And I'm like, Oh, wow. He's like, you should probably get your real estate license. Um, and I'm not gonna say who it was, but, um, they, ba- they basically gave me a stack of L bar contracts and I was writing my own contracts and being like, Hey dude, turn this in for me. And that's basically how it was. And, uh, so he's like, you, you know, the contracts, you know how to negotiate, wow. you know, the bricks and mortar of it. You should just go get your license. So, um, I went and got my license and then Bear Stearns crashed right when I finished my classes. And, that was uh, 2008, 2007? Yeah, 2007 is when I f- officially passed my test. I finished all my classes in October of 2007 and then I passed the test in December and then 2008 was my first year and then it was the worst. Do you it know was, what's interesting? Almost every agent that I've talked to on the show got their license around that that same time. Yeah. And they're, they're top producers today or they're brokers, they're mm-hmm. owners, um, it seems like such a, it's so interesting to me of this fear of the market crash and the change and, you know, they're still here today. So, yeah. well, you know, um, I, so I had just, um, bought another flip on Shinaway and, and if you know anything about Chevy Chase, everybody's been in their houses for 60 plus years and literally every neighbor I had had been in their house 
over 50 years. So the guy directly across the street, he'd sit on his porch every day and I'd just go walk over there and go talk to him. He was 90 something years old. You knew. Yeah. You knew. <laughs> so <laughs> you're like, well, this ain't gonna last forever. <laughs> well, buddy. It, it wasn't uh, part of, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, man, this guy kicks the bucket. I'm buying this house. Uh, but it, but another part of it is I, I like listening to older people's stories and this guy was in his nineties. And so I was telling him, you know, when I first got into, um, when I first passed my real estate test, the market crashed. And then you used to be able to go sign in what's called an earned income statement. And that basically was like, I'm going to go buy a $180,000 house. And it's kind of mortgage fraud, but a little uh, bit. Um, and the, uh, <laughs> but I think statute of limitations is 10 years. So we're good. Um, the, uh, so you used to go in there and I'm going to go buy a house. And it was one sheet of paper that basically was like, how much did you make this year? And you just wrote down a number. And I remember going to my banker and be like, how much do I need to make to afford this house? He was like, you need to make at least six, 65. I was like, $67,000 is what I made. And then uh, you used to get a line of credit. I mean, oh my I, one house that I bought, no exaggeration. That's not that long ago that this was happening. You 10 know? years ago. Well, this is why the market crashed. Well, yeah. So one, the last house that I did was in Nicholasville. It was kind of behind the, the, the Walmart and the Chevy dealership on the corner of Nicholasville uh, Road and... Main Street, the last house I did over there, um, I bought the house for like 118, but left the closing with like a twenty thousand dollar check because it appraised for more than what I yes. bought it for. And and it, you back then you used to be able to pick your appraiser, so I went to the appraiser and was like, I need this to appraise for 180. So like um, he gave me an appraisal for like 175. I got a twenty thousand dollar check. I used that twenty grand to fix up the house. Uh, wow. And then listed it for 185, and then took took the difference and and made like thirty thousand dollars and literally no money out of my pocket. All I had to do was sign an income statement. And I was a bartender at a at a at a at a redneck bar in Nicholasville at the time, and I made like thirty grand. I was like, yeah, screw this. And I actually ended up dropping out of college after I made that money because I was like, man, this is way more money than this. And then, um, but back to my story about this ninety five year old guy. I was telling him, I was like, man, this is this is rough. This great recession. I mean, I can't believe how terrible it is out here. And he goes, son, I'm 95 years old. I lived through the great depression. You'll be fine. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I guess you got a point there. And he goes, listen, so if you make it through this, he's like, and I live in Chevy chase. Yeah. Well, I'll be fine. He also probably paid $28,000 for that house too. So. Which is probably a fortune back in that day. <laughs> it you probably know? was. But he, you know what he told me? He was like, if you can make it through this worst possible market, you're going to come out a superstar. And that's why a lot of those people that, got in the market in 06, 07, 08, and 09, and in 2010 even, um, they don't know, they didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know. I mean, I did not have the experience of multiple offers. Like I had, there was a gluttony of houses. When we used to go to the um, master commissioner sale to buy these foreclosed properties, the master commissioner sale used to go once a week, and there was 50 to 75 properties. I've heard this, but now it's a flood in there, you, and you mm -hmm. can't buy anything. It's, it's, and it's once way a month expensive. Now. Yeah, and yeah. there's 20 houses that are available to buy, and the room is full of all these HDTV flippers that think yes. they know what they're doing. And, um, it's, and it's frustrating to have to compete with that because it really hurts um, it really hurts the guys that do it for a living and, and yes, really it does after, that so. know what they're doing, yeah. but let's say that, you know, a lot of people are talking about next year, you know, the market coming down. What if something like that happens and you, you can't get loans like you used to get anymore? What are you going to tell your agents? What are you going to tell them to do to, to overcome something like this? You know, I, I feel like, there's going to be buyers no matter what. Um, David O'Neill, the uh, property value administrator uh, for Lexington, the Fayette County property value uh, administrator, um, had a, a crazy statistic. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there was basically 10 years of Lexington needed. I, I, and I don't, I'm, I'm going to throw these numbers out there and I may be way off, but Lexington needed like 1,200 houses a year and they were only building like 300. Yeah. So it was like it's it was, probably even less now, right? That yeah. they're well, I mean, right now they think they're only building two or two or three hundred houses a year, and they're over three fifty. So there's no real affordable housing, right? Um, so I, I think there, if there is another downturn in the economy and people are not able to go out and get loans, I think Lexington will be. It, it's always had. It's always kind of been insulated from major um, downturns, and even in 08, is as bad as it was, we still didn't get. It, it, if the neighborhood was over 
10 years old, it was stable. Maybe lost like 8 or 9% in value. You went out to Masterson Station. That's where the real hit came. And there was a ton of mortgage fraud out there. And you're talking about yeah. what was going on in Long Island. There, there was some redlining out there. It was literally, there's a, a, a couple of guys went to jail for this. I don't know if you know this, but I a, didn't. a mortgage officer and, a, and an agent basically were just giving in a builder all, th- all three of them were basically committing mortgage fraud. And I mean, it used to be, and it was crazy. I remember, I remember driving through Masterson station and looking at properties to buy and try to flip. And like every house, but they're so new. They were brand new. Well, there were, there was parts of Masterson that was a little bit older. So like, Oh wait, they yeah. were built. When was the first wave? Like, uh, late nineties, maybe 98 yeah, to I think so. 2000. Yeah. So there was some, there was kind of like these like great, what would have been rental properties. But I remember driving through there and being like, Everybody's got a motorcycle, an ATV, or a boat sitting in front of their $120,000 houses. And I'm like, how are these people affording this? And what the reality was is people were doing what I was doing. They were going to these closings and getting a check yes. and buying furniture and no money down. And, you know, that's that. And if you look back then, I mean, Masterson Station, there was, I mean, there's a ton of people made a lot of money in Masterson Station. They were buying properties at, you know, 60 cents on the dollar. And they just bought and hold, and they're still holding them, and they're still great little rental properties. So it's it's a uh, the market was absolutely insane, and I think when and if agents have a solid book of business, this is when you need to be building your book of business. Um, one of our top producers, he does over over fifteen million a year, is uh, Jim Moore, uh, and a lot of people may not know this, but Jim has a hundred and twenty person database, and that is the only people he sells real estate to. Somebody, wow. some random person calls him. He gives it to his team member, and they have to deal with it. Um, but he he has 120 people, and then he goes through that list every year and be like, he knows who his best clients are. These are these are his super fans, and he's built his entire business on it. His coaching, he he provides coaching, and anyone that um, uh, he provides coaching for agents from every office. We allow him to do all. Uh, we allow him um, to to coach anyone because I'm I'm more of the type that like. Uh, I all of our trainings I do live feeds on my Facebook because I feel like I've watched some. Oh, yeah. thanks. Uh, and we do that because I feel like it's to make this industry better. We need to like share these kind of the share the knowledge. You know, right? Which is why we're here. Yeah, exactly. Same. So, thing. but you know, when I worked at, at, in Nashville, it was the, they always preached about the they would call it the um, the the Nordstrom. The, the Chick-fil-A, they want that level of service. Like, mm. when you go into Chick-fil-A, it's their pleasure. Like, yeah. And Jim Moore seems to be running a business like Chick-fil-A. Yeah. I bet those 150 people are are treated like when they go into Chick-fil-A, and Jim is like, no, no, it's my pleasure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, you know, he gets he gets them a really nice gift for Christmas every year. Like, it's not, not, it's not something cheap. It's a pretty, really decent gift. Um, he, they get quarterly or monthly letters. He's got a whole system that he p- puts into place. And, um, and, uh, he, he, he really, the way he does business is actually how I did it. When I left, when I left to be like my, I, I, and I, my, one of my biggest regrets is I didn't give my book of business to someone to just run it. Uh, because, and when Jim came in and, uh, he was with another company and, um, was coming in and telling me about his coaching and how he wanted access to our agents and if, if, if anyone wanted to do the coaching, it clicked with me because I, my business when I was a full-time real estate agent was 178 names and that I did all my business with that 178. I didn't buy any Zillow leads. I didn't do any cold calling. But these were mult. Some of them were investors buying multiples yeah, and, yeah. and things and like the, that. And my average sale price was 380. So I didn't have to sell a bunch, you know, and that's um, high. it was, it was. And, and when, see when the market crashed, um, in, in 08, I was like, who, who has money to buy houses? And I was like, oh, it's doctors. I know a couple of doctors. So I just would call my doctor friends. Hey, do you have any friends that are looking to buy or sell a house? And so in my first, my first like four or five houses were sold to doctors and engineers and they all were making over 200,000 a year. So like, and when I first started, I had like a 4,000 name database. I was sending all these emails. I would do these postcards to a bunch of random people. And then I just kind of narrowed it down and became more laser about it. And in the book, um, Malcolm Gladwell has a book called Tipping Point. Um, and in the book Tipping Point, he talks about this group of people in Germany, uh, m- much like they're they're like the Amish. 
and um, when their village gets to 150 people, they divide it in half and they each separate. And um, what Malcolm talks Is it about, so they won't like inbreed. <laughs> I, I'm sure there's plenty the of the Amish it. do that too. I've, well, I've I, heard. I'm, I'm certain there's plenty of that. But what it what it really is is when they when what they figured out was is you cannot build meaningful relationships with more than 150 people. So if um, and that's what I preach now. I'm like if you're going to write a book or if you're going to build a book of business, f- go through your 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 phone of people that you really know that really care about you and really love you, and just love on them. Just give them all the attention. Make be the first thing that comes to mind when when it's time to buy and sell real estate, and then provide a service that's like year round of a network of contractors. Um, provide um, you know, uh, you know, sending them postcards and things that are very useful for them um, will go a long way. It will go a really long way. I actually had this idea of, um, and I think this service actually exists now, but. Uh, you know, filters for like an air conditioning, like you can actually buy a s- subscription for that. Now. Yes. So they like, come in the mail every three months mm, or yeah, something. That's something yeah. that I was like, I th- actually thought about that years ago. And I was you like, could have been a millionaire. I know. I don't know how much money that guy makes, but <laughs> I was like, man, it'd be cool if like every time we sell a house, I know what size their filter is because they put it in the inspection reform yes. thing that this is something that's going to come to their house once a month. And it's like, it doesn't cost much. You know what I mean? It's like for the first year, you're going to provide them with filters and they'll probably never change it. $15 you know? a year. Yeah, you're it's, <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. And there's a couple of, um, there's this website. I can't remember the name of it. It's like TCPTO or something like that. And you, it's like 25 bucks um, a, a client and they're going to get um, uh, something in the mail from you on a, on a monthly basis. And I'll, I'll share that with you when I get it. Uh, that would be awesome. It's really cool. Like you, you sign them up right when you do a sale and then it's basically for the next five years they're getting something from you. So let's go back to that Newsweek, the Newsday article. Sure. Um, I I read Inman last night. Inman came out with a list of his predictions for the future. Did mm-hmm. you see it? I have not. He he predicted that these uh, these journalists would win like a Pulitzer. He predicted that NAR was going to change their name to the Realtor Association, and he predicted which we'll talk about in depth, I think I would love to get your opinion. He predicted that iBuyers were going to be 50% of of all sales were going to be going through iBuyers. Um, I don't think so. I think there could I think be. It, well, in Phoenix, um, the Zillow iBuyer, they said that it was 1% of that market, mm-hmm. which doesn't sound like a lot, but think about 1%. Think about if you had 1% of the business of Fayette County and That's how true. much business that is. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know if it'll go up to 50% because there is a discount on those sales when they're when they're buying them. It's, whole, it's wholesale. Yeah. I mean, they and they won't tell you that, the but margin, it is. The margin, isn't, the margin isn't even that much. Like, it, it's like 3%. And that's where they're, like, they're not, like, so a flipper wants to make 15%. So yeah. it's not like flipper wholesaling they're after the mortgage mm-hmm. they're not after your home they don't want to own your home they exactly. don't want to flip your home they want you to buy another home and use their mortgage exactly i'm not quite sure why the now that's the zillow model i'm not super familiar though with the keller i buyer and open door i think has mm-hmm. one yeah purple bricks maybe i think they do but i'm not super familiar with those do you do you know yeah their their models about the same Again, are they offering a mortgage they're wanting you to use like kw has doesn't have that do they maybe they're getting a cut i don't know uh kw what they're looking to i don't know what specifically they're doing but most of these i buyers and here's the thing they if you look at how much money they put into it like the it's close to a billion dollars like the big i buyers yeah. they're i mean zillow is spending several hundred million dollars to buy these properties and if you think about it you got a hundred million in the bank. If you can make one or three, one to three percent, and then every now and then you're going to hit a lick where you're actually going to make really good money compared to the. Um, uh, so it's it's a really really tight margin, um, but they're going to make money in the in the overall long run. And right. I think part of it is is like with Keller and Zillow. Like Zillow's, um, I heard and I remember reading in an article is that Zillow's putting their iBuyer listings higher up on their I website believe it. yeah um, and i didn't hear that at the conference but i'm i'm sure it's true there was an article probably about a year ago where they were talking like where somebody was like here the i here's the properties owned by zillow and they're the first 10 that showed up um and well i mean if you remember back 
you know, even six, seven years ago on Google Mm -hmm. that I used to work for a a big team in Louisville that he was an SEO genius. I mean, he was a master and he had the top page on Google. Mm -hmm. And then the next year, Google did something to where now the top page is Zillow, Realtor.com and Trulia, which is Zillow as well. And he might be on page two now. Yeah. But that whole thing changed too. Yeah. I, I actually was able to game that system back in the early 2000s. Uh, yeah. He in, did the same thing. Yeah. And it was like through all these back pages. And I had some company out of the Philippines that did it for me. And I got on the first page of Google and then it was like three months later it was gone. Like I was seven pages back or something. Yeah. It was, it was, they, and they're constantly changing that. And I think, you know, there, there, there is, um, um, I, I, I think, if agents really focused on the personal relationships, they don't have to worry about the the online stuff. And I think for me, if I was a brand new agent, I, I would love to try to get leads through online. That's, it built my business. I mean, I, I know, you know, I took a an Elbar lunch and learn class yesterday and they were, you know, they were dogging on Zillow and all that. I'm like, you know, that's fine, but I'm selling 55 houses a year and I wouldn't be doing it without Zillow. It built my business, but you know, if Zillow tells me tomorrow that they're, they're going to say goodbye and you know, I will survive. Like I, I, I've never been, I've never been too intimidated by Zillow as a, as a broker. And I've been to these like broker meetings where they're just like freaking out about, I remember when, when it really started to like, people started freaking out about it It was probably like three years ago. Do you look at them now and say, okay, boomer? Yeah, Yeah, I do. (laughs) Um, I mean, the reason that right now, you you know, like, um, the the reason that, um, Elbar runs two different systems right now, we run flex and Rapitoni. They couldn't agree. Well, it's, there was a, a huge initiative. They they really wanted Flex to fail. Yes. So it, basically, if you're going to run two systems, you're going to always go to the one that you're comfortable with. I mean, my force of habit is to go to the... To I, I use Rapatoni. I'm one of those... Dude, but Flex is so I know. much better. I've heard. I've but heard. it's just the habit of like logging onto it. That's all it comes down to. Yeah. It's like developing the habit of logging onto it. My, my in, you know, you just get on the laptop and you just type in... LBAR and you then type in L up. and it's like boom. Yeah, it's first thing it shows yes. up. So um, they set it up to fail, but it was that group of people that were just like they didn't want the change, you know. And then they were they were talking about not feeding to Zillow anymore, and it's like That's, it's not gonna work. You the, can't the, do that. The barn door is open and the cows are out. Like it's not about what you know. And this is my problem, and and I'm glad you talked about it in the very beginning too. I I had this conversation yesterday with someone else about on a broker level of, you know, it's the like me as an agent, the way, you know, a lot of us feel would be that we work for you. You're our broker and we work for you. And that's not how it should be. You, you work for me. Yeah. And, and I think Elbar, you know, yes, we are, we are the board. We, we work for them, I guess, in a way, but not really. They work for us. Yeah. And, you know, our clients, like, that's what they're using. They're using Zillow. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what they're using. So we can't, it's not my we work fault. for them. It's not my fault you didn't come up with a website that was as good as Zillow's. I mean, it just works right? better. That's what it comes down to. It works better. Like in, in it, as many times as I've put like my my niece, um, she's uh, I think like twenty three and married, and as many drip campaigns I put her on my own CRM drip and I put her on Elbar drip, and she <gasps> doesn't is, open either one of those. That is not nice. She doesn't open You did one. that to your your niece? She will not open any of the stuff that I send to her. And then she'll send me properties that she finds on Zillow, even though she's on a drip campaign for yes. Elbar. And she's sending me properties on Zillow. So, like, that's that's where the buyers are. That's what they're using. Now, the, the trick with Zillow and the trick with let them use the system but get to them before they get to Zillow. Um, and that's one of the reasons I, I love the CRM that we provide to our agents because it, it has an option to – get the paid ads on Google on the top okay, and like on the, the side. Like the AdWorks type. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, when the, you know, this, it's usually there's like a advertisement across the top and then the yeah, I get them the right. cars right now. Yeah. Well, you, are you car shopping? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> so, um, so if you, if you really want to buy ads and kind of circumvene Zillow is, uh, if you're trying to go blind leads and this is a technique that I've, 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 um, got a couple of agents doing, um, the CRM we use is, has an automatic, like all you do is click What's a button. What's it called? 
Uh, it's called KV Core Conversion. It's an gr- unbelievable CRM. It's it's one of the strongest. Um, and I've been it's through. It's very a bunch. expensive. It is. You have to pay for that. Yeah, yeah. it is. And we provide it for free for our agents. It's so. fifteen hundred a month or something for a team. It's fifteen hundred yeah. um, for an individual agent. I think it's four or five hundred a month, and um, that's it, we provide money. It is, and you know our monthly fee is not even half that you know for an agent that wants to do our, our, our flat fee system but if you go and buy those ads and i think you have to spend a minimum of 500 a month with with google what you're doing is that is somebody that doesn't know zillow yet not everyone knows zillow we know zillow because we're an in industry and i think right. we forget that as agents this, that I mean, in the civilian population when it comes time to go look for a property they just go to google and type in Real estate, Lexington, Kentucky. And what are the first four things that come up? It's just like you said, Zillow, Realtor.com. And and if you can get an ad across the top and get them to click that, and if you can get that call in, so that, that system is really amazing because, like, they, they'll click the ad. They'll go in and do, like, a quick search. <clears throat> and as, as great as that our websites are, it doesn't look nearly as good as Zillow. I mean, it, they, they, can't, no. they can't do it. But if you can get the phone number, get the person on the phone – and just be like, hey, uh, I can help you. And even if they're on Zillow already, and I'm pretty sure Zillow, as long as you're a premier agent, their email attaches to the client so they that you'll show up as a as an agent for you, them. They have to accept you, you know, if I get a lead and then I, want, I, I send them an email that says you're working with Tiffany and they click yes, then they will always get me. Mm-hmm. Or if I put them in there or they put themselves yeah. in there and, and choose me. Yeah. But otherwise, no, it's so, free for all. Yeah, that's what, and that's where the Google ad buy comes in, where you can try to get them before they get to Zillow. Are uh, you using any Facebook marketing? Because this is a huge, untapped, very, you know, I've I've been going through and looking at all the agents that are using it. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many of 3,500 agents in Lexington are using Facebook marketing right now? I would say a bunch of them. One. Really? One person. There, so is it a... Uh, a realtor it's a single realtor at a different brokerage but yeah one person how are they marketing on facebook they're using just the sponsored ads oh yeah and targeting whoever they are you know wanting to target so kv core actually has a um uh, a way to be able to do they do the advertising for you it's really cool um in there you just click on it and you say i want buyer leads or i want seller leads and then you go through it, and I think it's like sixty bucks for a month, one hundred and eighty for four months. It's a, it gives a discount if you buy uh, further uh, uh, for longer. Um, but there is a there's I, wh- the way I look at social media is that's our PR machine, um, and it it I I think you can use it for marketing, and it's and it's a great ability. And I get I mean even when I do my my show on on um, uh, the Get Real CEO show. Um, I, I, I get people that are watching that, that are not agents that are, you know, that's how they reach out to me and they know I'm, I'm an expert based on, uh, the stuff that they, that on, on watching that. And it's like just a constant stream of information is, makes you look like the pro that you are. And that's what, that's where I, where I think social media is important, but at the same time, it can't be all business because it is a social media platform, obviously. I talked about this on my show yesterday is like when there's like three things you don't talk about on Facebook, politics, religion, and sex. Don't talk about those three things and you won't get in trouble. And yeah, but a lot of people, a lot of people are, um, a lot of agents are, and there's a lot of, um, in my opinion, it, it all goes back to the Newsday story of, I think there's a lot of underlying racism. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of homophobia mm-hmm. that I see. Um, I see. I see agents doing and talking about on on Facebook, and that's public knowledge. Yeah. You know, I yeah. It it, what it are, shocks what would me. You, I mean, you know, you're a huge broker. You yeah. have you're one of the larger brokers in town. If you see something like that, I what we so I've brought in people before that have gone on absolute tangent on Facebook and I've read like and if I catch it there's there's always a call I'm like you need to delete this and and it's not a and I tend okay I lean liberal I mean pretty hard I mean I probably would be a Republican in, in California but in in Kentucky <laughs> I'm a I'm a liberal uh but like you know so I so I when I see like basically dog whistle racism 
that you're talking yes. about. It's not blatant racism, but it's like dog whistle racism. And it's like, do you not realize you're like an old white person saying these things? And it's not a good idea. Like sometimes like, I've thought like if I brought if I were a broker and I brought them in, I would want to read it word for word, but I would sing it to them <laughs> and see how their reaction would be. And I'd be like, Do you see that? Yeah. Do you see me singing this to you? Like yeah. <laughs> it's just like in part of it is, do you, is like, do you hear how ridiculous it is I, and even 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 if it's like going to a political rally don't post it on facebook like no. who, who gives you're a, alienating 50 percent of potential business mm-hmm. no and i've seen I've, I've had a couple of people that um it, they would post something and i'm like dude you need to chill on that like nobody 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 gives a shit what obama did no like nobody cares that was like three years ago like and you know it's and to me it's like i i see people that are even talking move on boomer yeah move on boomer (laughs) that's exactly right and it's like and and then i see people like that are just overly enthusiastic about trump and i'm like why why he's you know like there's no point in like it's just like you said there's no point in pissing off 50% Fifty percent of the potential business. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. It's like don't talk. That's politics. like being like, you know, I hate men. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna work with them. I'm not gonna sell them anything. Yeah, yeah. So it, I want to talk. So how does how does Elbar? How does the board? How does NAR become a diverse company like Lifestyle Real Estate? Uh, you know, we. I went out of my way to do it, so it's not how. How well, did you do it? You just. I didn't. And I, I don't want to say. You know, say let's like, say you know you've got new people coming in, new agents that have mm-hmm. never they've never sold real estate before. Yeah. How are you marketing to diverse people? You're not just like, well, I only want to. I only want rich white men to come in. Yeah. You know, how are you? <clears throat> I think. I think part of it is is um, my interview process with people. So when they come in the door, I'm not. I'm not targeting. Uh, diver- diversity as much as it them coming in and feeling comfortable with who I am and how we run our company. So I mean, I'll, I'll, nine times out of ten, if somebody's coming in and interviewing with me, they're interviewing with at least three other offices. Um, and at that point, I have to show them our value and I have to show them what we provide. And um, and then it's about a comfort level that I try to create in those interview processes. I'm, I mean, you, you see me, I'm wearing a sports shirt. I, if it's over 65 degrees, I'm in flip flops. Um, You're a I, real human. I am a real human. And I, <laughs> I don't want to be, I, I, you know, after I got a divorce, I was just like, ah, hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm just going to do me. I'm not going to like try to be fit in anyone's mold. And I think people see that when in the interview process, I think they, they know that. And then, um, I'm, I'm really big on referrals. Even when I talked about having a 178 name database, it's a referral based business. 99% of my business is referrals. 99% of the agents that we hire is a referral from another agent. So once you start down the diversity path, it's much easier as opposed to, um, you know, trying to deliberately do it. We, we, we really, you know, just, we got a few agents that were, you know, that diversity out there. And I mean, we have every, just a, ton of South Americans. We have even, um, you know, Western European, uh, a lot of Ukrainians. Um, we have some this Arab This is so people. wild to me that, yeah. you know, have you, I went to the, the um, Elbar, it's the only event that I've been in in a long time where they were announcing like who's running for president and board and all these things. And I looked around and it's all white people. It is. And it's primarily uh, older people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was like, man, I feel like a young chicken in here like and how do you how does the board you know and I I asked Alicia about this too and I was like to me I you are the face of Elbar I mean I I see her all the time I Mm -hmm. see her more than Justin really yeah and I asked her how how do we as a board how do they get you know more diverse how does how do we change something like this and I she wasn't quite sure like I, I think it would require mentoring um, uh, but maybe going. because, you know, there's no one on the, there's no one on the board level on mm-hmm. that top level, you're actually president right. and board members and treasury and all this stuff. It's so funny. There's that no one that looks like you. So it's so funny that you mentioned this I, on last Thursday, I was at the Lexington forum, which was about how to bring, um, how to retain people of color in Lexington, because this is a stopover city. Like they'll go to UK and then they're gone. They'll ha- they know that there's a ceiling here, um, and the whole conversation was literally about this. 
uh, and they had um, uh, a guy who serves on the Lex- Lextran board with me uh, there, um, uh, Christian, and what he basically said is that there has to be a deliberate, um, there has to be a deliberate attempt to really create diversity. Um, and then what they're, one of the people actually on there, and I, I handed her my card, is she does a mentoring program for uh, people of color student athletes. Because a lot of times when, when they're done with their, I mean, they basically have been doing that sport since they were three. And then they get out of college, they get their degree, and there's not that next level of if they if, if they're not going to the Olympics or they're doing some professional sports. Isn't that really sad to think about that we you know we hold these people to such high esteem uh, in sports, but then when they're done and they graduate, it's like so. Do yeah. you know they they end up suffering a lot of times from depression because I that was it. their identity. The sport was their identity. They they were they were probably the and best. And if you're not at their going on to the NFL mm-hmm. or the NBA, you know, and they lack that. And so she actually has a program for uh, mentoring uh, people of color as after student, uh, student athletes while they're still in college, so that when they leave college, they have some sense of self worth. And um, so I honestly, that's what Elbar should do is like connect, get connected with her. Um, and when they you, really should. Liz, Liz is, I think, the vice president of the Lexington Forum. You should ask her about that. Uh, um, that, and I think, I think actually, we should, I, we should try to make that connection. I think you really, really should. Good. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I, um, I gave her my card, and I'm like, I'd love to be a mentor for, for, for an athlete. It'd be cool. Because um, I, I always sucked at sports. It was just same. Never, yeah. I was in the band. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only, I, if it required running or a ball, I, I sucked at it. So I, I was I was a pretty decent wrestler, and I, I did okay in boxing. So if it, if I if I, I was a decent wrestler, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> decent wrestler. I've never done that in my life. If I, if it required choking someone or punching them in the face, I was pretty good at it. So um, let's talk about the. Gosh, I have so many things that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, you, you're now, you're not a big box broker anymore. Um, you, you, obviously the split happened of United and Lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So Lifestyle is your thing now. United is not. You went from a, a a big box franchise broker to Lifestyle, which now is not. You're an independent broker now. It's not, it's, it's not a franchise anymore. No. What is the benefits of something like that, of going from the big box franchise to not? Well, the a lot of so when um, to give a story about how I got to where I'm at, and um, I try to make a, a short story long or a long story short. Um, uh, I bought the the off, an office from uh, a broker. It was 23 agents, and it was a franchise. And she was I'm senior vice president of franchise sales uh, for that franchise. It was Realty World. Um, it was 23 agents in 2013 is when I bought it. Um, uh, I didn't know anything. I, I mean, I, I didn't know what I didn't know basically. So I, what I told her was like, okay, when your contract expires in April, I don't want to be a franchise anymore. And she's like, really, there's a, there's an advantage to being a franchise because there's this national, um, you have national brand recognition. They have tools that you won't have to go build everything yourself. There was a lot of things there. And, after I got into the business and we grew our office to 240 agents, um, after I really got into it, I was like, these franchises aren't providing anything. They're, they're, they're literally off the top taking almost 12% of our, of our, of our gross, of our gross was 12% was coming off the top that we were paying them. And I, when I, when, when these, when the CRMs weren't working and the websites weren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, I was like, I got to go buy this myself now. So um, it was really, really frustrating because I was expecting one thing from from them, and the cost was ridiculous. And so, the advantages to having a franchise is yes, they do have some systems in place for you, but the fact is, is once once you learn it and you see what they're providing, and you can see that you can do it yourself. I just didn't see any need for franchises. I think my personal opinion is that franchises are dead and dying. There's not I wanted to talk to you about that because that's that's something I think about quite often too. And I read a lot of Inman and and he talks about the uh, you know obviously he's a big Keller fan I believe yeah, um, yeah they're good buddies but you know Compass look at Compass and what yeah. they're doing and man they're shaking it up like yeah and you know Compass owns their offices you know and that's the th- that's the difference you know um, I I I just think that um, there were I I think. In the 90s, in the early 2000s, it made for sense. Sure. 
But now that Zillow's out there, I mean, Zillow's really a franchise killer, not a broker killer, I think. Um, I, I, and when you have companies like Inside Real Estate, which basically you can buy a broker suite, which are your accounting, your websites, your CRM that you can all provide for your agents. Uh, I mean, it's expensive for a broker to do that, but it's still a fraction of the cost of what you go get a franchise for. Um, and the other issues that I had with the franchises, like if, for example, I have an agent in Ashland, I have an agent in Pikeville, I have an agent in Somerset. I couldn't do that with them because I, I was restricted to a territory. Um, and so I, I, I feel like EXP, which is, I believe, a franchise, but I, I think it's a company owned. Um, I liked EXP's model, so I just took EXP's model and basically copied it, except I believe that we do need to be in a real estate building. I like I, I, You just can't be in real estate and be like, we're completely virtual. That is the dumbest idea. I was going to ask you if you thought uh, <clears throat> something like EXP or Compass, they're not the same at all. Like, Do you see things like this coming in and disrupting our market because I, I haven't I don't feel like that is I think happening I, or going I, to happen I I well I do actually think they're going to disrupt the market and that's why I mimicked what they were doing um and part of part of the what we did was is well I think our like the exp here the broker's not here mm -hmm. so you know maybe they are disrupting in Louisville where yeah. the broker is but they're not here yeah and I think I think that's going to hurt them um, I think right now as they're growing, it's not going to be that big of a deal. And as someone that's had an, I, my office was way bigger than any XP in, around the country. I mean, we were the number one producing office in, in that franchise brand, um, since it, since day one. I mean, our first year we were, were you we were the present. biggest brokerage in Lexington. You were one or two, weren't you? Uh, agent count. We were number one, um, production. We were number two. We, I think like 2018, we missed it by like 30 transactions to be a number one. Um, but hell, we were involved in a lawsuit like <laughs> every month somebody was suing us. So and it and it, I, I, I stepped back and was like, OK, this is not a good idea to be a huge brokerage because you can't. And going back to what Malcolm Gladwell said of having 150 people that you can build meaningful relationships with, I lost the ability to build meaningful relationships. So where I think EXP, I tried to merge what EXP and Compass were doing. It was is I wanted to give an individual agent that's a top producer the ability to brand themselves, to give all the tools that you would have with a franchise, but just not the cost of it. And I liked what EXP was doing, where there's one principal broker for the whole state and having a basically a virtual office, but I didn't like the idea of completely virtual. So I, I wanted to do a hybrid. Um, so when we get to um, 20 agents in Ashland, we'll open a small office for them. When we get to, and in that office, there's going to be a manager, a, a, a broker that's going to be there to answer questions for the agents that are there. Same thing with Pikeville probably won't get that big. So they'll stay basically a hybrid office where everything's done virtually. Um, and, you know, when we go out to Western Kentucky and Louisville, we'll have brokers there that are going to be their point, the point man. Okay. And then from there, I, that's where I think EXP made a mistake is, is that they don't have a point man in all these little regions. And whether it's a point man for the MLS or a point man for a region, uh, um, it, uh, I think it's a it's crucial to have somebody there to be provide a service for the agents. Because right now, I, I mean, I don't know what their cap is. I think it's like 16000 or I don't, I don't know what their cap is. But for $16,000, all you're getting is a website. It's like you can go... You can go get that from inside real estate yourself for half the price, you know, uh, and it just doesn't make it doesn't make sense to me. It didn't make sense to me. So um, and I know they have some kind of stock option. I don't get it. I don't really understand it. But I sent it to my financial guy and he was like, this is a joke. And he told me not to. He's, he's like, it's like you can go buy the stock for less than what they're giving it to you for, basically. Do you think so? Um, I've, I've thought that someone that could disrupt more so than than those kind of you know, the EXPs and things like that could be like Plumtree. You know, I heard Plumtree there. Um, what is their model? It's, I think, two ninety five a month. Mm -hmm. In unlimited transactions? I believe so. Yeah. I'm um, going to have someone, I'm going to have to get someone to talk about it to me, like on the show, because that's what I think. Or two ninety eight or something a month, and yeah. that I think that's it. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't really know what their their model is, and we're 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 similar to that in the sense of, um, it's like what are you getting in value to what you're paying for, and that's the ultimate goal. So like we provide uh, conversion for you know if you just joined our office and just use conversion, you're you're ahead. 
you know, before yes. before any 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 splits. Um, and I think as long as they're providing a service and they're providing something for the agents, the model will work. I think any any what 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 the cost of doing business as long as the cost of doing business for the agent is going to continue to be pushed down. Um, I think like six percent is not going to be a, a norm thing five years from now. I've I heard uh, Inman talked about that too, and his predictions to come is that there's going to be kind of a shift in commissions. Yeah, I definitely think there is. I think there and that you know there's an, an antitrust lawsuit that that agents yeah, are going through. Yeah, I haven't through. heard. I haven't heard much in a while, but I used to follow that, but I yeah. haven't. Yeah, I think kind of disappeared. I don't know. It's still going through the court systems. Um, it could be years. It could be, could be seven years before absolutely feel anything. Yeah, I've, I've been in some lawsuits that ran for like nine years. So it's like wow. <laughs> that stuff. That stuff does take forever, and it's like the only people making money are the attorneys. So, um, it, and it's it's there's there's always going to be all these new models, and what we're trying to do is a new model as well. So and and um, um, it's you know for us right now it's brand recognition, and then once people figure out how our model is different, even from our, our original model it's um it's always it always blows people away and but you uh so lifestyle is i think you've had this reputation for a while of being that broker that you know if you're a part-time agent you're a new agent you don't sell a lot you need to go to lifestyle you need to go to united things like that i think that's kind of changing for you and and you're kind of you're you're looking for a different kind of agent we are and we actually raised our monthly dues because i don't want people that are just hanging around um, I don't, the monthly dues aren't, aren't our, are not our money, money maker. We used to charge 65 bucks a month or 75 a month. I doubled it because I just, I mean, I, I've got stuff on my credit card that's coming out. I probably have <laughs> reoccurring charges of like $150 a month of stuff that I don't even know what the hell it is anymore. Like Netflix and all that stuff. So I felt like 65 or $75 a month, um, was, at, you know, is that at a limit where they're, you're not going to get somebody that's out there producing. And our ultimate goal is to be, um, I want all the high producers to be joining our office. So, and that was part of the reason, you know, when, when, uh, when we look at hiring, we don't really look at production, right? I hire on five things, which is um, being committed to the business, being coachable, being passionate about it, being positive and, and high level integrity. You score five out of five, you're an agent that we want. And if you score five out of five, there's a high probability that you're a, way above average agent. Um, and it, what I found is, is, um, yeah, sometimes, you know, is everyone in our office five out of five? No, but I can tell you there's most of our agents are four out of five. Um, and what I've, when we, when we made this big switch and did this change, um, we kept a lot of people that were in that five out of five. And then when I look at the per agent production, we're probably up to 10 or 12 transactions per agent which, you know, the national average is four. Elbar's average is probably like four and a half or six. Um, when we were part of uh, the franchise network, the entire network, to give you an example, we were competing against Dallas, Washington, D.C., um, Chicago, um, L.A., um, and we were the number one office by like 25%. And then when we surpassed their Dallas office, which had almost 400-something agents, and we were at like 200 um I, I knew, I knew that I was like, all right, I've kind of outgrown you guys, you know? And, um, uh, and then <clears throat> when I look back, we had our Christmas party <clears throat> last night and, um, and I look, I'm looking at the agents that are there and I'm like, man, these guys are producers. Like there's nobody here just, and they're young. You said, yeah, they you. are. They're about 20 <laughs> years younger than what they was before. <laughs> and they're all producers. And I'm, I'm looking around the room and I'm like, these aren't people here. Just get a free lunch off me. This is not a free dinner. <laughs> Like, and there was like, there's, cause I had a ton of people that were just like, they were, I mean, you get to think it's like somebody that did like three transactions a year. They were at every free function that I had. If there that's was food, amazing. it is. And then I'm like, well, that's a cost savings of like $25 a person. You know, it's like, um, so it, it's, we're, you know, I, I'm not, I, and I was, this is when, when I, in my speech yesterday, I'm not motivated by money. So like, I've never been somebody that's motivated by money. And last night when several agents came up talking about how much they loved me and respected me and thanked me for the change. I never felt more successful than that moment right there. I mean, like I was starting to cry and shit. It was amazing. <laughs> you know, I'm not an emotional guy. I think yeah. it's really, it, it's really telling and, and I'm a huge fan of you. I mean, you know this, and I think it's, you know, I'm looking at someone that, you know, I think about, you know, if you were an agent, you, you lost, you lost 50% of your business mm -hmm. gone. Yeah. It's like if I lost, um, if I lost 
Zillow is 50% of my business. And if I, if it just went away, if they were like, you know, we're shutting the doors and they were gone. Yeah. And the impact that that has on your life and your mental health and, you know, it's someone that's building it again from the ground up and, and finding new people from the ground up. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool. Yeah. It was scary. Um, it's, I wear, I wear a sleep monitoring, right. (laughs) And, um, your heart rate's just like, (laughs) yeah, it literally, I have a graph of my heart rate, like from day that it changed. And then it just like, right before I go to burning, right before I went to burning man, I started working with a spiritual advisor and I'm like, bro, I cannot go to burning man with this on my mind. Uh, so, you know, I, I did two sessions with him and it's so funny. The graph just like, just drops like from like a, I think my resting heart rate went up to like 52 and then right before burning man, it dropped to 42. Um, so, um, and it took, it took a month of like, you can't be going out in the desert with like a, without your mind, your heart, your soul, like everything like there, you cannot be doing that. I've been to Coachella Valley. Yeah. I have been in it, like not to that level, but like you cannot, and it, you and cannot be going out s- there like especially that. when it's a high stress environment like that because the weather is. I mean, there's dust storms and all. It this doesn't stuff. look high stress from the you know the clothes that people they look so cool and yeah. like they they seem like they're cool and you know, but it's uh, it, it, yeah. it, well in in well it, it's it's high stress in the sense like, okay so we're in an RV. Most, a lot of people are in RVs, but there's some tents. But then there's, like, the last few days, we're like, oh, crap, we're running out of water. You know what I mean? And, like, you learn to appreciate these little things. And I think, you know, when we went through when we went through that our change, and uh, a couple of people mentioned this last night, um, we did it. I, I, there was a lot of BS and a lot of rumors and all this stuff that was going was. on. And I was like, man, just talk to me. You just, just, all you had to do is just talk to me and I'll tell you exactly why I did what I did. And, um, I quite frankly, and I'll tell it to anybody, I got, was getting ripped off by the franchise and like, I've just, I, it just didn't make sense to me anymore. And, um, and you know, it, 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 a lot of it was, is like, how do you show up in this world? You know what I mean? Um, and I did, I lost 50% of my agents, but I didn't lose 50% of my business. That's where like, Ah. so, um, uh, you know, Besides the fact that I reduced my cost from not being a franchise, besides the fact that I reduced the my cost of my per agent cost per year, because there was a lot of basically dead weight that we were, you know, the ghost like, agents, the killers, yeah. you know, yeah, they seen just, the, the Keller model where they're just they're, they're yeah. killing off the dead agents or the ghost agents they're calling them. Yeah, I it, think and I think brokers as a in general are kind of doing that now. Yeah, and I think it's just like. You know what? If you want to increase the quality of this, the business that we have, we have to. Um, we've got to. We've got to put an effort out there to like improve the people that we have, and um, that's that's our, been our constant thing since since this changeover. Is is I, I always use a word as um, uh, my word of the year, and I focus on that. So my year, my word this year was gratuity. So I was overly gratuitous in everything, and I'm a pretty generous guy. I mean, I. I don't charge for my Christmas parties. There's almost, there's always gifts there for all the agents. You know, I always, uh, there's always giveaways. Like I gave away a Chromebook and some Airbuds yesterday and, um, uh, portfolios. And I, you have to like understand that you're doing this for more than just yourself. And when you, when you realize that and people talk to me and realize that I'm not doing this for myself, I'm not doing this for money, I'm doing this for, like, there was an unbelievable, I'm telling you, like, I never felt more successful than hearing the people talk about sticking by me and and really believing in what I did, and that's that's where I made a mistake with the pe- a lot, some of the people that left was, is like, I didn't, I wasn't able to pro- project that and really talk to them, and, and, and um, uh, but, and I, I don't even think it's a mistake. It's a lesson. So there's no mistakes in this world. There's lessons. And it was a great lesson. And I, I, uh, I'm glad I did it while I'm still young. <laughs> so um, I want to ask you, like, you you were in a, you could make more money being a, a real estate agent. And you, you were. You were making probably more money as a realtor. What, why did you, what made you want to own a brokerage? And I why love, did you do that? I love real estate. And, um something that actually Ray Rector told me uh, at a table at El Bar when I was a brand new agent, I was like, what was the key to your success? He's like, I just stuck to my vertical. If I had, if somebody came up to me and was like, I have an idea, this is a business idea. Oh, that's awesome. I can help you buy the building for that. It was never like get in there. So, um, so to me, I thought it was just a progression of what I was supposed to do. 
And then I got into it because every part of real estate I love. I loved, actually loved being a real estate agent. I loved negotiating contracts. I loved taking a house apart, blowing the roof off and doing something crazy with it. And I felt like the natural progression was to own a brokerage. I mean, in hindsight, maybe I should have just stuck to real estate and made a quarter million dollars a year selling real estate and, you know, um, doing that part. But it was, I just, it was a challenge. And then now I'm kind of like, I'm in it. And now it's like, um, uh, man, I love it. Actually, I just, it was just another aspect and I just stick to my vertical. I was going to ask you, my last question would be what makes you passionate about this? But I think if you, if you know Eli, then you, you know, you know, like, this man is passionate about like the whole thing. Like, man, Everything. you're in it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm in it. I love it, and it's like I can't. I I'm. I remember when I the I just moved into my flip. The the deal fell through, and I remember when we blew the roof off of it and du- sawdust going everywhere. And I'm I'm just like looking at the plans for this house that I'm getting ready to do, to remodel, and I'm like, I love this shit. Like I I mean I love it, man. And I couldn't I couldn't. I couldn't even express how much I enjoy what I was about to do. And then even when I'm standing behind my desk at the office, I'm like, man, I love this. This is awesome. And then do you they, have a lot of people that come in. Do you I, have a, a, like a lot of activity in the office. Every uh, time I come in, it, like whatever I'm doing, it when I happen to be coming to Lifestyle, you're there. Oh, yeah. All the time. Oh, yes. Yeah. I, I mean, there it's a lot of in and out traffic, you know, because we don't provide office space for agents. We do lease office spaces to agents upstairs. Um, but we, we try to encourage them to just use the space for home buyer, uh, orientations and home seller orientations. Um, like, and we do have a ton of traffic that's like walking in and out all day. I mean, there's at least one to two, two agents in there all day. And, um, you know, like I said, I sit in the bullpen, so I don't, I don't really get much work done because I have a ton of people walking. I was just like I told you in my core class, I literally wrote like five pages of stuff <laughs> that I was doing, and I was like, "Oh, that was the be- most productive, that was productive. <laughs> most productive day I've had since the last time I took core." <laughs> what three years ago, or uh, is that what it is? Every two or three two years. years. <laughs> yeah. So it's like I didn't get disturbed. I had my, I got a, I got a break every thirty, every three hours. It was amazing. So it's, it was, it was a good, it was a good, good week. <laughs> So who is so who is Eli? I mean, you're a you're a broker, you're an owner, you're a, a lover of real estate, you're a burner. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I think of you, I always think about we had a conversation. Maybe it was last year, the beginning of the year, and you said that you're working towards being this totally egoless person, and I always remember that. And because I've heard, you know, I hear things about you and. I hear, you know, someone told me once that, you know, Eli with this new franchise, this new brokerage has, it's gone to his head. And I'm like, man, you don't know. Like, you don't know Eli. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm on this, like, I, 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 I want to say this path to enlightenment, which is really hard to get to, to receive, to get to Nirvana. Uh, but are you, you're not, are you Buddhist? I don't practice anything. So I'm, I, um, did you grow up with some, I'm something Rome, Roman Catholic? Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I was a good Catholic. Boy. Are you a first generation American or Yeah, yeah, so Where are your uh, where are your parents from? So I I was actually the last person in my family born in Jordan before we immigrated here. So I'm actually Jordanian or I would have gotten into politics, but I can't run for president, so I'm not going <laughs> to if I can't go all out, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so um um but yeah, so my, my I was The bus board will have to do. <laughs> yeah. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as it gets for me. Uh but you know, my I was I was raised Catholic and I I uh, um, uh, I think there's there's something to be said about faith and whatnot. But like for me, um, I went through this transition. I mean, I went through a divorce and then I went through uh, having a child. And um, it was there was it got to the point where I kind of stepped back and was like, "What are we doing this for? Like, really, what are we doing this for?" And then um, I went through this transformational uh, training in San Diego called ALA. Um, and, uh, there's some exercises there about killing your ego and, um, there, um, closed eyed meditations and exercises and games that you do. And then what I really realized was, is like your ego kind of screws you and like it, I mean, part of it, there's some actually truth to what they said about, um, before we did this brand name change, ego was making some of the decisions for me and was, is like, Oh, all these systems that I use are systems that I created. And now the entire franchise network gets to use the systems that I created. So why am I creating systems for the people that are supposed to be creating systems for me? Uh, and that was ego talking. Um, and 
uh, it was ego that basically lost half my agents for me. So, um, as it's a hard, it's a hard road to like, try to like, let go of that. Your ego is one of the most, it's there to protect you, right? Like a lot of people don't realize that your ego is there to protect you because you don't want to get hurt, whether it's emotionally, um, or, you know, um, and so you have to be able to keep it in check and you have to be able to like look in for, for, for guidance. And sometimes your ego will blur that vision. So when I realized that is when I really, really pushed to try to become this like egoless state of mind and the Buddhists, um, talk about that. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of this came from, from my trips to Burning Man. So like my, my trips to Burning Man, I know it seems like a huge party, but it's a spiritual trip for me. Um, phys- figuratively and literally. <laughs> so like, um, and, and it was, it was, it was, it was on a trip to Burning Man that I, I, I discovered this and it was like, um, uh, and so that's why I, I, I do what I do now. And I try to like live that life. I try to live that way. I, I can't, I can't say that I'm a Buddhist, but, um, I do like what they say. I've, I've read, uh, I read a lot about it and, um, any, and I meditate like every day. I use um, an app called Waking Up, Sam Harris. I don't know if you've ever. No. He's a, um, it's kind of crazy because he's a hardcore atheist and like even Buddhism, he doesn't fall into that. And he does these meditations about looking inside and, um, and it's, it's kind of crazy. And I highly recommend a meditation practice for everyone, whether it's prayer or meditation. So you can pray to God or whatever energy that you want to, but meditating was probably one of the best things I've ever done that I practice every single day, minimum 10 minutes. Um, and then if you have an Apple watch, they have a, the breathe app. So like, it's about, um, uh, finding your center and, um, and that's part of it is just like looking in, looking in and like, like it's basically looking for the looker, you know what I mean? Look for the thinker. Where is he? You know? Um, yeah, there's this thing that Sam Harris does is like, he does this exercise where he's like, when I snap my fingers, I want you to look for the looker. And it's this like inverted look into your, into yourself. And there's for every time he does it, it I get this like weird, like, like rush. And it took, you know, I've been medit I've been consistently meditating since fe- February of this year. Mm-hmm. I think and when I talked to you, you had just started doing this and you were like, you were in it. Yeah. Like, and it, it's even been even more And what it would took it actually, what it took for me to get to the point that I can meditate on a regular basis is an accountability partner. So I had a friend of mine, um, we were both like, I was like, Dave, we need to, I want to, I want to meditate. And I feel like if I have somebody that just reminds me. And so what we would do is like every time we'd meditate and we had to do it once a day, didn't matter when we did it, we sent, we text each other a check mark. So, um, and so like when sometimes it's like nine o'clock at night and all of a sudden I get this check mark and I'm like, Oh crap, I didn't meditate today. And he did. And so now I, I immediately turn my phone off and turn on the app and listen to whatever I'm going to listen to. There's tons of tons of apps out there for it, and um, and then even now I have a the waking app ha- app has a group function so that I can put like five people in a group and then at 7 a.m. the people in my group get a notification five till that it's time to meditate and it's a 10 minute meditation or a 20 minute meditation. It's pretty legit. I love it. It's one of the best things I've ever done. Well, that is all the time that I have. Thank you, Eli. Thank you, everyone, for listening. You can listen to the Woke Agent on iTunes. And you can listen to us on Spotify or wherever you want to listen to podcasts, really. Thank you. Thanks.